0: Dear listener, salaam and greetings from Prasanthi Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on Ramakatara Savahini, a book written by Swami And today's episode was first broadcast live on 7th May 2015. Have a listen please.
1: Om Shri Sairam, dear listeners, this week afternoon satsang, we have... The continuation of the sweet nectarous story of Lord Sri Rama as penned by our dear Swami, Sai Rama. And as always, we begin this satsang session on the Ramakatha Rasavahini by listening to the beautiful Rama Nama so that we get lost in that, so that our thoughts, our feelings and our minds are completely saturated with this beautiful name and form after which along with Lord Hanuman, who is always present wherever the Ramkata is sung. We shall proceed to delve into this sweet and divine story.
2: Shri Raghavam Prame.
3: सीता पतिम्
2: रघुकुलान
1: Sairam, dear listeners, a very warm welcome to all of you and of course Sairam to brother Prem here also. Last week when we did the Ramkata Rasavahini, all those who joined us will be aware that we played out a small portion of a drama, a convocation drama that was staged in Bhagwan's presence. This was the part where Bharata meets with Rama. It is on that note we concluded. Before continuing today's discussion, maybe we can all come up to speed on what has happened so far. So Bharata has come along with the entire kingdom of Ayodhya in order to invite Lord Rama back to rule Ayodhya. That is his intention, that is his motivation and he presents many arguments at the intellectual level, at an emotional level and he presents them very passionately and with all his love for Rama. So much so that Emperor Janaka who is seated there, who is known for his equanimous nature, who is known to not get affected by either the ups or downs in life, he himself starts feeling powerful surge of emotion in his heart. And he is called upon to mediate and judge whether Bharata's prema or love should win over Rama or whether Rama's dharma should win over Bharata. So it becomes a battle between Dharma and Prema. And the judgment that Emperor Janaka gives is that Prema is always supreme and Prema has to win. And that is when everyone becomes joyous. They are thrilled that Bharata has succeeded in his mission. That Lord Rama will now have to agree and concede defeat and therefore return to Ayodhya. But that is when Emperor Janaka puts in a disclaimer. He says that prema itself has its own dharma. Though prema is always the ultimate, prema also has its dharma. And prema's dharma lies in the happiness of the object of love. And so he tells Bharata, if you say that you have prema towards Rama, which is what has actually made you the victor, then you must have no will of your own, no desire of your own because your will and your desire will be shaped by what Rama wills and what Rama desires. That is the Prema Dharma. And so therefore now it comes back in a loop where Rama now says Bharata my desire is that you go and rule the kingdom on my behalf. Yes I accept the kingdom because you have offered it with love but you go and rule on my behalf. And uh, there Bharata stands stumped and so though in the initial part it appears as if Prema has achieved its victory over Dharma. In the final sense, it was Dharma that triumphed. And uh, no wonder that one of the most common phrases they use while describing Rama and the Ramayana Ramo Vigrahavan Dharmaha, which means Rama symbolizes, epitomizes dharma. And that is what has happened so far. And Prem, so I thought today we can begin the discussion. With exactly this battle between prema and dharma, where it seems that though prema is the ultimate, love is the ultimate, dharma wins over prema.
3: Sharam Arvind and Sairam to all our listeners, yes, it's a very interesting debate and it's a debate uh, in the sense we would, as King Janaka said, in the end, love should win. And uh, in many ways, that's a very, very empowering thought because love is something everybody is capable of. I think that's what even Swami would always say. That if there is one thing common in all of us, that is the ability to love. If somebody were to say that that is the only thing which will win at the end of the day, I think that's a very empowering thought. But in this, finally, you know, after all the battle, you concede defeat. And you see your victory in that defeat. And uh, in a sense, that's the definition of devotion. Where you lose yourself and you find your victory in that. I think that's the clinching thing. That when you lose, you know, if you're in a battle, if you're in an argument, if you're in a debate, when you lose, I think on the other side, you've lost your self-confidence, you're feeling a little low, Mm -hmm. you're feeling that typical feelings which go with losing a battle. But I think when what Dharma says is, it is definitely written on stone and nothing can be changed. But what devotion gives us is an ability to accept it with a very, very balanced mind that even after what is apparently appearing like a loss, I think you come out as a victor at the end of it.
1: This is a very important point being made here. The point that though Prema has lost to Dharma, it cannot be said that Prema has lost because Bharata after this did not have the characteristics or the traits of a loser. As you said, he wasn't depressed, he wasn't dejected, He didn't feel a loss in morale and self-confidence. On the other hand, his self-confidence, self-esteem went on a high. He was happy. He was smiling. And the fact that he was doing something dearest to the one who is dearest to him, that gave him so much joy and strength to carry on. So in that sense, if we see, actually Prema did not lose because we call someone a loser by the traits or characteristics that he or she exhibits. If a person is exhibiting the traits of a winner, then how can we say he or she has lost? In this context I am reminded, you know, of the day that recently we celebrated, the Shri Satya Aradhana Mahotsavam. We had a Satsang on why the Aradhana day is a Mahotsavam, a festival and not a day of mourning. Continuing with that same thought, if you see Swami says that God has only one weakness, and the devotee has only one strength, and that is prayer. Prayer melts the heart of the Lord, and Swami says his heart is like butter, a little warmth is enough to melt it. And we have seen ample instances of this. For instance, if we take the 1963 episode where Swami took on the paralytic stroke, for a week he suffered the stroke, and everybody, you know, who knew, who got to know that this has happened to Swami, their heart was bleeding for Swami. They were pleading to Swami and they were putting in all their efforts and nothing else mattered. Nobody else prayed anything for themselves. All their prayers became selfless and the only prayers they had was Swami, please you should be alright. And within a week, Swami cured himself and Swami in a public discourse acknowledged the prayers of the devotees and he said that what has cured me today is, well apparently these drops of water that I've sprinkled, but behind that, The actual force is the prayers of all the devotees that went on in one pointed attention for so long. And that is not just one case. So many occasions, whether it be Swami taking on mumps or Swami taking on any other problems of the devotees, Swami always says that prayers from the devotees cures me. The way you have prayed, that is what has given me strength. Even when he had the hip operation, even when he had the eye operation, when he came out and first time spoke publicly to the students, that is what he said. He said that I have come out healthy, not because of the operation, but because of your prayers. I was just thinking, now if that is the case, then before the Mahasamadhi, when Swami was admitted to the hospital, the amount of prayer that went on, not only in Prashantinilam or India, across the globe, there were continuous bhajans, continuous Mnuttin Mantra Japa and what not, so much of prayer has gone on and it just felt that such kind of prayer can melt stone, can change universes personally I just felt that this intensity of prayer and this quantum of prayer possibly has never occurred on this kind of united and mass scale ever before in the Sathya Sai Avatar but guess what? that just was not enough again it looked like what is written on stone is written on stone and no amount of prema that is devotion can ever change that it appeared like another defeat for Prema, right?
3: Very true. I think many of us went through that emotion at that time. A feeling of being absolutely weak, you know, because as you said, we always say that prayer is our greatest strength. And at that point, you said that, you know, what is the point? I mean, as you said, I think even as individuals, each one of us, many of us felt that way, that Swami, we have not prayed like this for anything else. You know, forget getting an object from you, forget getting close to you, getting proximity to you, but we have not prayed for anything. The way we prayed, you know, for those few moments, it took away all our confidence in ourselves and in our prayers. I think that's the most dangerous thing for a devotee. But that's where I think even when we had the discussion about Dharma, Swami very often says that Dharma has many layers. The Dharma which you adorn on yourself based on the Desha Kale that is the situation you are in, the role that you play in life and that particular place where you live. Because that is one type of dharma. But the ultimate dharma, Swami would often say, is Atma Dharma. I think that ability to accept that final dharma comes only with absolute devotion. I think when Swami says Atma Dharma, it cannot be anything different from that dharma which comes from you know the purest feeling in your heart, which is selfless love. So I think as a devotee to be able to accept that dharma with all your love, that itself is a sign of you moving towards Atma Dharma. I think, uh, you know, where all your choices, all your idea of what is good, what is wrong is given up at the end of the day. So, in a sense, this kind of uh, situation is expected in a devotee's life. In the case of Bharata, and, uh, you know, can't help but going back to it, we celebrated Ishrama Day yesterday. We, we do uh, The International Mother's Day is this Sunday. If you look at it, in every avatar, No, the mother has had to sacrifice has had to go through this phase you know we are talking about Bharata today but if you look at all the mothers if you look at Mother Kaushalya had to go through that pain of separation be it when Rama went away with Vishwamitra or the 14 years in the forest or the avatar of Krishna where two mothers had to suffer that Yashoda when uh, Krishna left for Mathura and Devaki till Krishna reached you know Mathura Mm. so I think everywhere the truest devotee is always tested with this, whether they are able to wholeheartedly accept what is the dharma which the Lord gives them. I think that's where it's more than a, at a point where there is a debate between dharma and prema, there's a fight or argument between prema and dharma and then there's a confluence where finally it is neither this or that but it is where each meets the other and that's the victory point.
1: This becomes significant because many times in discourses we hear Swami saying Atma Dharma, Atma Dharma is Supreme Atma Dharma. What is this Atma Dharma? Swami also says the Bhagavad Gita starts with word Dharma, ends with the word Mama. So the entire Saman Bonam of Bhagavad Gita is summarized by these two words Mama Dharma. And Swami says, what is this Mama Dharma? This Mama Dharma is Atma Dharma. Again the term Atma Dharma. So what is this Atma Dharma? What does it state? If it's a theorem, what is the definition? So from whatever little I have understood from various discourses and various expositions on Atma-Dharma, it appears as if Atma-Dharma is just this statement that everything is one. There is no second. Because everything is divine. Now, if we actually take this as the innermost core of all our thoughts, words and actions, automatically ethics evolve, morality evolves, responsibility evolves, duty evolves rights evolve. everything evolved from this, they are all derived from this primary statement that everything is divine. I should not hurt another because he is divine. I mean, this is just a very simple example that I am giving, a possibly even a frivolous example, but it boils down that way. A person who is steeped in Atma Dharma is able to interpret it and therefore give rise to the different Dharmas that we have, whether it is is three Dharma or Purusha Dharma, or dharma according to age, dharma according to time, desha kalaparasithiya, all that you said. So now this is the primary statement. Therefore, anything that pushes a person towards achieving this is definitely the most important thing to do. And now in that light, when we look at Swami taking Mahasamadhi or the mother having to undergo suffering of separation from her divine child, we realize that all this actually leads to a connection that is beyond the ravages of time and space. See Prem, you felt helpless, I felt helpless. We felt that what is the use Swami? It's not in our control at all. Swami, how much ever I pray, you don't listen Swami, you do what you want. That is the first reaction as you said, that what comes because that is where we feel that, you know what Swami, Prema is hopeless, Prema is helpless because guess what, whatever you want you do. But again, it is only that deep-seated love. You know what, Prem, because though we might tell this to Swami, if you do this to me, I can tell you, Prem, I don't want to see your face again and just walk away. But you couldn't do that to Swami. I couldn't do it to Swami. And that is the beauty of Prema. When we have real love, we just can't turn away. You may do anything to us, Swami, but I can't leave you. And it is that love that later confers the same understanding that, so what if Swami doesn't listen to me and does what He wants? Isn't his understanding and his knowledge supreme? Isn't it much better than what I think of for myself? So actually I am being foolish by telling Swami you didn't listen to me. If a baby cries and tells the mother doesn't listen, why should a mother listen? Just by the fact that the mother is not listening to the baby or the infant, doesn't mean that the mother doesn't love the infant. She loves the infant so much that she is ready to let the infant misunderstand her and cry but she will still do what is good for the infant. Now in this wisdom that comes, this kind of wisdom can come only from Prema, only from love because it is love that brings in selflessness and the ability to think from another perspective rather than our own little egoistic perspective. And once this perspective comes in, really Prema, when it comes to Swami, do you think you feel or do you think I feel that we are losers? No, I definitely feel like I am a winner. So, though on the Mahasamadhi day it might have appeared as if Prema lost, I really don't feel like a loser. I feel I have won Swami in such a manner. Now, no other Aradhana day, as we were discussing, no other Aradhana day can take away this kind of connect. Because my connection is now beyond the space, beyond time. So, definitely while on the face of it, it looks as if Rama won, Bharata lost, Dharma won, Prema lost. The Lord always wins, the devotee always loses. The truth is the other way the devotee always gains because he loses what is temporary and gains what is permanent
3: exactly even in this very situation if you see you know bharata going when he went out to meet rama in the forest he would have gone with all these uh, thoughts and confusions in his mind thinking that maybe rama would have developed a dislike for me for i was the cause for his situation or maybe he's very upset with my mother maybe he's very upset with dasharatha and all the while when, uh, you know, Bharata is trying to convince Rama to come back, all the arguments which he gives is that he says, the people of Ayodhya want you back. You know, I am very sorry for what has happened. Please come back. Even Kaikeyi wants you to come back. Even she is here to implode you. But when I think Rama stands his ground and says, no, I have to stay here. I have to complete this thing. I think what becomes clear is that Dharma which Rama is trying to portray is coming out of absolute selflessness. And there is no trace of, you know, any hatred or any any other negative thought like that. I think that's exactly what happens, you know, even with Swami, when you know that, we've all had this, we want something, but Swami doesn't give it to us, going on pleading for it, at some point, you know, or at least, even when you're going through the whole process, you know at the back of your mind, that if Swami is not giving it to you, and asks, we know that Swami is so selfless as we understand that. There there's one, no vested interest. Right. There's absolutely something which is good for me, which is preventing him from giving it to you. Mm-hmm. And you know it at the back of the mind. I think that is what makes the difference. As you said, you know, at the end of the day, we know that we are the winners because what was done was eventually what was best for us. Whether we wanted it or not, we would have wanted it in a different way. We would have wanted it in a different form. But we know for sure that at the end of the battle, what we got was what was
1: best for us. And going through the Ramkatha Rasavahini, one definitely gets the feeling that Swami really wants to emphasize a lot on this particular episode of the brothers meeting. Because, you know, the Ramayana is divided into the seven Kandas, Balakanda, Ayodhya Kanda, Aranya Kanda, then comes Kishkinda Kanda, Sundara Kanda, Yuddha Kanda and the Uttara Kanda. Swami has written this entire Ramayana in two books. So it has come out as two parts, Ramkatha part 1, part 2. The entire part 1 has only about completely two kandas, that's all. And in that if we see, there are three chapters dedicated to the brothers meeting. The first part has about 18 chapters and the last four chapters in fact are about the brothers meeting and Bharata's return to Ayodhya. In the timeline if we see This is not a huge chunk of the Ramayana. It's a few days, that's all. And even if we see in terms of the events that have happened, the episodes that have taken place, not many episodes take place. Basically what happens is, the entire Ayodhya comes to Rama and wants Rama back and Rama convinces them no and sends back Bharata with the sandals. That's all event wise also happens. And yet, Swami has written 4 out of 18 chapters about this. Dear listeners, though we might be having a satsang on these chapters over here, it is highly recommended that each of us read through these chapters because Swami has filled in so much of wisdom in so many dialogues between the different participants of this episode. While Prem and myself will try to relive some of those dialogues, it is not humanly possible that we be able to extract and juice out everything because we have seen it from perspectives of say people in their 20s and early 30s perceiving love for the Lord. But if you are a mother, you will get some message. You are a grandmother, you will get a message. You are a a person who is serving the Lord in some capacity, you will get the message. Whatever be your profession, whatever be your age, whatever be your gender, whatever be your relationship status, each one has a message to derive that comes out in the dialogues between various people in this part. So though we will now go upon, take upon this journey of Reliving some of the interactions that took place at Chitrakuta, where Rama was, it is highly recommended that you two read through these three, four chapters of the Ramkatara Savahini.
3: And uh, as you said, it's a very, very important thing because the line which differentiates this is very, very thin and very blurring. Because most often what we think as selflessness, eventually... You know, in, it does have a tinge of selfishness, and that's why this chapter is very, very important. Where at the end of the day, it's in surrender that a devotee always gains. It's in surrender that a devotee always raises himself, and that's why this is so important. And uh, you know, even as we're reading through this chapter, one thing which occurs to me is, since we all know the Ramayana, we mentally have the idea, okay, all right, now Bharata will come, the citizens of Ayodhya will come, they will ask, and they'll leave. But if we look at it from their point of view. If we forget that we know the Ramayana, look at it from the point of view of the citizens. You don't know what is going to unfold. (laughs) Looking at it that way, it's completely different. Because they've come, they don't know whether Rama is going to come back. That's one option available. Or there might be another option where, uh, you know, Bharata also settles down with Rama, Bharata and Shatrugna. There's a possibility of Rama allowing them to settle with them in the forest. Where the whole Ayodhya has actually become, you know, shifted to the forest. That option is still available. Or the option which they all don't want, which is Rama continuing his exile and they all have to return. I mean, you can imagine the air of anticipation which was there in that crowd of the entire city of Ayodhya being there. And none of them know what is going to happen. Probably one person who might have known other than Rama is somebody like sage Sista maybe. But nobody else had a clue. So that was actually a very, very tense moment for all these people there.
1: There's a very, very nice lesson over here. See, when we read the Ramayana, when we see the discussion that goes on, there are so many people, not only Bharata or the mothers. Everybody is wanting Rama to return in their own way and everybody is putting forth some argument. Now, when I am reading it, I know what's going to (laughs) happen. I know that Rama is not going to return. So, I just feel like, come on, you you just go ahead, you don't worry. (laughs) But how will we live without Rama? What will happen, O Rama? What will happen to tender Sita? Will she be safe? Now, I know the answer. No, actually she won't be safe. You know, she's going to get kidnapped. Oh my God. But you know, let me not tell you because now if I tell you, I mean, this is what I'm thinking. Now, if I tell you, oh citizens of Ayodhya, you're not going to return. You're going to insist that Sita should come back because you don't want her to get into danger. But don't worry. Because you know, though that she's going to get into danger, it is actually going to lead to something good. They will definitely ask me, how on earth is Sita getting kidnapped by Rakshasa going to lead to something good? Oh, you don't understand? Because... See, I am able to understand and not feel even a flutter in my heart because I know it's going to end well. I feel that that is how God is. That is why God doesn't get flutters with either ups or downs because he is the script writer of the story. Now, of course, we may not know the story, but we definitely know our Swami. We have experienced him to some extent. With that experience, I am sure we should be able to feel that the Lord knows the story. So there is nothing to worry about. Let's go along with the flow because the Lord knows the beginning. He knows how the story is going and how the end has come. So that is a lesson here. Now last week when we were hearing this drama clip being played, one doubt that could have possibly arisen in the hearts of the listeners and ours also is, now where did this Emperor Janaka suddenly appear from? Because till then, Swami has described how the entire Ayodhya has gone on. Janaka is the emperor of Mithila. He is the father of Sita. So, the doubt comes is how does Janaka appear on the scene?
3: In fact, in that point where all the citizens of Ayodhya are there, I think that is where Swami explains this point where how Janaka comes. Apparently, when Dashrata's demise happens, Vasishtha actually sends a message to Mithila to Janaka about this you know, uh, mishap which has occurred and then he is kind of informed as a in-law of the royal family. And immediately after Janaka receives this message, he starts there with his wife and proceeds towards Ayodhya. But by then, the, this whole event has happened where Bharata has come back and all the citizens of Ayodhya plan to go towards the forest.
1: Yeah, Janaka is updated about right. this exile.
3: Yeah, he goes there and sees an empty city and then he realizes that this is what has happened so he you know follows the footsteps of this entire entourage and then joins them in the forest so that's how even uh, janaka and his queen sunaina right and they there in the scene
1: you know reading the ramkatha one revelation that came to me was bharata and the entire kingdom of ayodhya were camping with lord rama for nearly a week now that was surprising till now from whatever we have seen in serials or whatever we have heard as grandmother tales. So or it happens writing. in one scene? ha, even in the Amar Chitrakata when we read, it's just a small portion. So, it is amazing to know that they were there for nearly a week. So, right, what happens?
3: It, right, exactly. That's why I was saying that so much of anticipation was there. It was not just that few moments, they come, they meet Rama and Rama says, no, you go mm. back and they go back. I mean, there was a period, one week is a long time and I'm sure many of them would have Kind of thought that they're going to stay back here. I mean, probably Rama has accepted that, that we can live around him.
1: When Rama told them to go back, they must have felt how we would feel when Swami says the Kodai trip is over, you know. But the difference is, once the Kodai trip is over, you know that Swami is returning. Okay, but, uh, still there is a kind of sorrow because in Kodai canal or any of these places when Swami takes you, Swami creates things in such a manner that you feel Swami is all yours. He belongs to you. You are there with him for breakfast, lunch and dinner. You are there throughout the day with him. And now all that will go back once he comes to Prasanthi Nilayam because that's the official headquarters and his office work will begin and that's it. Swami is there of course, but he's no longer your own Swami. That in itself is enough to cause pangs of sorrow and separation in many of us as we are leaving, as we are departing from such a trip. In fact, one of the most soul-stirring songs that Dil Yahi Hai Ma, was composed for such an occasion when they were leaving Kodaikanal. How can we forget the memories that you have given us here, O mother? Our heart will always long that we live with you forever. So, imagine when that itself can cause pangs of separation. Not that we are not going to be with Swami, but the fact that Swami will not be available to us full because once we go back there, He's back to administration and other things how much more must have been the pangs when uh, after this one week when Rama says you go back and I am not coming back. It's like Swami saying go back to Prasanthi I am going to stay in Kodaikanath. <laughs> as you said it must have been a very very intense one week for all the people and as you said King Janaka also comes here and uh, according to the Ramkatha Rasavahini it's somewhere on the fourth day or something that they are able to catch up and actually reach King Janaka and Sunaina are able to, with their retinue, are able to catch up and reach Bharata and his entire Ayodhya city. In the meanwhile, some things have happened. Of course, Bharata has tried to convince Rama. But one more beautiful thing Swami mentions here. I mean, he again reiterates the fact and he again clears all the charges that we press against Mother Kaikei. I think that we shall take up after a little break. So, dear listeners, don't go away anywhere. Some very nice, beautiful episodes at the Chitrakuta are going to unravel themselves after this little break. Shri Rā,
2: Shri Rā. i to Muni mana daya I'll be your
3: Welcome back, dear listeners. We are in the point where uh, all of them are in the process of trying to convince Rama to come back to Ayodhya. And uh, we were talking about the feeling of uh, anticipation which is there in the last moment. what twist is this going to happen? I can't but recollect one thing what happened to one of our seniors. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is another aspect of when we spoke about, you know, what are our wishes and then finally accepting God's wish. One thing which Rami would often encourage is... It is not wrong to have your own opinions and likes and dislikes. But Swami would encourage that you put it forth to Swami. You open yourself. Don't have hidden choices and then tell Swami that Swami whatever you say is okay for me. Swami would encourage that you tell Swami what you want. Tell Swami what are your choices and then be prepared to accept what Swami's will is. Okay. There was this boy after his completion of MBA, Swami asked him what do you want to do? And uh, this boy said, Swami, I would like to teach in Swami's university. I've always fancied being a teacher. So Swami said, very good, very good. You know, you want to be a teacher. Then Swami said, uh, what are your parents saying? So this boy said, Swami, my father is not very happy with me staying back. Hmm. He wants me to come back to Hyderabad, where this boy was from. And he wants me to take up a job there. So then Swami said, then how will you stay back here? So this boy said, Swami, if you convince my father, then he will accept. Swami said, definitely call them, I'll speak to them. Okay." And this boy is overjoyed, he called his parents. I think the very next day after they came, Swami called them for an interview. So his mother, father and this boy. Then Swami looks at his father and Swami asks him, so what do you want your son to do? So he, his father also put forth his desire very directly. He said, Swami, I would be happy if he comes back and takes up a job in Hyderabad. Swami said, "Yes, yes, very good, he has to come back to Hyderabad and take up a job and take care of all of you. Swami said, my blessings are there. In fact, I know a lot of companies in Hyderabad. I'll get him a job if he wants. <laughs> and this boy was sitting there, Swami, this is turning tables. I mean, you were supposed to take my side and convince mm. my father. And that's it. You know, in that interview, Swami said, no, you go back, take up a job and take care of your parents. And needless to say, that boy very, very gracefully accepted it because he said, at the end of the day, you want Swami to choose the course of your life. And uh, that opportunity was any day greater than You making a choice and Swami blessing your choice. And uh, that's why I'm saying that, you know, I can imagine the way he felt at that time when Swami, you know, because that plan was already made. Even when Swami said, call your father, I will try convincing him.
1: Now, this incident again, you know, highlights the beauty that prema or devotion does. Instead of making it a resignation, it makes it a grateful acceptance. It is love for God that changes our resignation into an acceptance of gratitude. That change is what creates magic in our life. Just imagine if we are grateful and we accept whatever that comes in our life. We will never know sorrow, we will never know disillusionment, we will never get agitated. Because we are grateful for whatever is coming because it is being gifted to us by Swami. This kind of attitude can come only with prema, only with love. And that is why I feel, though things about dharma are written in stone, things can't be changed, prema is the ultimate victor because irrespective of what you write, O Lord, I am going to celebrate that. So therefore, there is nothing like a defeat for prema, there is nothing like disillusionment, there is nothing like discouragement, there is nothing like sorrow for prema, because prema celebrates everything. That is given to it by its premi
3: very true, you know I mean, completely aside, I went and saw a play once mm-hmm. you know this play it's a very famous play. I forgot the name of the play it's actually one of those plays which has been staged the maximum number of times the world over okay, okay, so before I went to the play, I just got the title of the play, and I uh, went and read in the internet what is the play about. Mm-hmm. It is supposed to be a very serious thriller mm-hmm. okay i don 't know the name i don't remember the name of the play now it's always be a thriller basically a murder happens and how it is a man gets uh, implicated in it without having done anything and how he sorts the whole thing hmm. that's the whole story it's a novel and it's been staged but when i went and saw the play it was staged live they had made a complete comedy out of it okay so if you look at it the script was fixed they did not move away from the script you know the characters were fixed the script was fixed, but they'd done a absolutely creative thing where there were only four actors in the whole play playing about 35, 40 roles. Oh my god. Hmm. So you can imagine the score for creativity and the score for comedy. They'd done a brilliant and splendid job. But you know, similarly I feel- They, they
1: changed a, right? a melodrama into right? a comedy. They changed
3: a the thriller melodrama into a complete <laughs> comedy. <laughs> and you know, that's what I think is an option which is available. You know, Dharma is, as you said, it's written on stone, but I think
1: how we take it you know it?
3: how you take it you know prema yeah. gives you that opportunity the devotion gives you an opportunity to make a song you know only the chords in dharma could be maybe the chords maybe I mean, can dharma
1: is in the song the chords that right, you play right, can exactly. change the mood you,
3: you can either sing it in a minor <laughs> scale or you can sing it in a major scale i think that's what nice, nice, devotion very nice example. do to it right.
1: hmm. so yeah before the break we mentioned kaikei now kaikei she's standing there she's lost in her thoughts You know, many times, many devotees also have had this experience where Swami has told them to do something and when they do exactly as Swami has said, things seem to be going very wrong and they wonder as to, yes, of course, I did what Swami told, but uh, am I doing it wrong? Have I missed some point somewhere or did I misunderstand Him? It's natural these doubts come because the world and we are part of the world judges by the results that are being produced. So Kaike is standing there forlorn and alone. She has also come because after all she has love for Rama and in fact as Swami revealed and we heard the clip all this she has done because her love for Rama was so much that she was ready to do anything for Rama including asking for his banishment. So she is standing in the corner there and wondering whether what she did was right. Was it actually Rama who asked her or did she get possessed by a demon and did she speak such rubbish and such nonsense? How could she even imagine That things would be fine and everyone will be happy and Bharata will rule the kingdom. And then she tells, no, no, I did not want this. It is Rama's will. Rama wanted it. It is Rama's will. So I have just followed his will. But then why am I not feeling happy? Because when we fulfill the Lord's will, we are supposed to feel happy. We are just doing what the Lord wants. And the Lord is the most important for us. But Kaike is not happy. So she is just being torn apart and tormented. She tells to herself that it might be Rama's will, of course. But even then I am a sinner because all said and done I am the villainess. What I have done is terrible. Therefore she is not having the face to show Rama. She doesn't want to go near anyone else because she is able to see the heart-rending scenes before her. And she knows that the cause for all of that is herself. You know, knowing the truth that Rama is the one who has actually told Kaikeyi to do this. If we wonder, you know, if we think a little deep as to why is Kaike feeling this then? She has done exactly what Rama wanted and yet she is feeling responsible for all the pain. I think that is the final trace of ego that makes us feel like this Prem because even though Swami tells us to do something when we do it and it comes out in quotes successful in worldly terms we feel very happy and thrilled. Though we may say it is all Swami's grace the joy is there because you know what somewhere in the corner of our heart maybe uh, uh, for a better devotee than me it will be somewhere in the corner of a heart but for a person like me all over my heart I just feel you know what I did what Swami wanted and I am thrilled that feeling of ego that I did is still there that is the same cause for why I feel sad when I do exactly what Swami has told me to do and things go wrong in quotes because I am feeling that I messed up I did wrong again the feeling of doership and I-ness is there and uh, uh, not as a judgment because my salutations to mother Kaikeyi she's at least a billion times nobler than me but it appears as if this sorrow that she is undergoing can have possibly only that single cause that she still has some sense of doership left in her and that is why she feels that I have been the cause for all this sorrow how can I show my face to Rama with such feeling she's standing and crying now though this little fault is there Rama is the ocean of mercy, ocean of compassion, ocean of love he himself approaches mother
3: right because you know in this whole thing I think that is what would have caused the confusion because one thing is she is repentant and uh, maybe nobody other than herself and Rama knows the whole truth what has conspired between the two of them but after reaching the presence of Rama, Rama has still not given her an opportunity to have an audience with him so, you know, that's where the confusion comes. I mean, everybody else thinking that I've done something wrong is fine. But even if Rama is reacting like this, is it because he gave me a role because there was some bit of negativity in me which he used? Those are the kind of thoughts which come. I'm reminded of what happened with one of our uh, seniors. Hmm. You know, A very funny thing. I think we would have narrated this before. But the relationship which or the perspective with which Rama chose Kaikei to do this was very, very similar to what happened in this situation. I think this happened sometime in 1990 mm. during the summer course when some was in Brindavan and the, the entire campus was getting the campus ready for the summer course okay. because that 1990 summer course happened after a long time. And one of those students there was our brother Indreshwar, you know, mm. the grandson of the Rajmata of Jamnagar. We all know how it is in Brindavan that the bungalow of the Rajmata is just beside the grounds, just next to the institute building. So all these boys were working in the grounds and in the gardens almost the whole day. So one day, this particular boy, he, he kind of slipped into his house to just have a cool drink. Okay. Okay. Apparently, that's not right. That's not supposed to be done. Though he was staying at home, since he was doing a work which is related to the college, he was not supposed to take a break that way. But he said, nothing wrong. You know, after all, I'm just going to go and have a cool drink. So he just slipped away. And just at that time, Swami came to the institute. So when he came out of the, you know, bungalow, he saw that Swami was standing right in front of the building where the Saraswati statue is there. Apparently, it had just been painted that morning. And Swami was standing and looking at that painting. So this boy uh, comes out and he sees that all students are standing around Swami and Swami standing there. And the worst time to be caught coming out of his house. So he silently goes and slips behind and goes and stands right behind Swami. Okay, so just cutting all the extra events short. Suddenly, Swami turns to him. Nobody has told Swami that this boy is standing behind. Suddenly, Swami turns, looks at him and Swami says, very bad boy. So, then he realizes that he can hoodwink everybody, but you can't hoodwink Swami. Hmm. So Swami is saying, very bad boy. And this guy puts his head down and he says, sorry, Swami. And kind of accepts Swami's reprimand. But Swami seems to be a little more angry than the situation warrants. Hmm. Swami is going on saying, very, very bad boy, very bad boy. And then Swami looks around and the, the vice-chancellor and the registrar and all the big people are standing. Swami looks at all of them and Swami looks at this boy and says, tell them what you have done. So he says, Swami, it's too small a crime to confess in front of <laughs> you know such dignitaries. Swami so says, tell them what you have done. And then Swami goes on to tell one long sentence in Tamil and then Swami says, yes, Jappu. So He says, Swami, I don't know what I am confessing to. You are telling it in Tamil. I can't understand a word of what you are saying. But Swami repeated it two or three times and Swami said, Yes, Chepu. So he figured out that whatever he's being blamed of, he's not supposed to know it. All that he's supposed to understand is, Yes, Jappu.
1: He has to say yes.
3: He has to say yes. So he said, Okay, Swami, yes. And then Swami explained what he told in Tamil. You know what this boy has done? He has gone home and he has sat with his uh, parents and apparently, you know, a lot of guests were coming. So Swami was accommodating guests in different places. You know? There was a guest room in the university, there were some rooms in the ashram, so Swami was kind of allotting the rooms to different guests so Swami said, this boy sat with Colonel Joga Rao and made a list of all those guests who have pretty daughters, <laughs> <laughs> so that they can be accommodated in the guest room in his bungalow, <laughs> ok, and this boy said, Swami, this is the most atrocious thing you can tell, you know, how would I ever have the guts to do that and why would anybody sit with me and discuss such a thing and Swami was very serious, Swami said, see this boy is doing such a thing and then Swami stormed out of that place. And then you can imagine the warden, the principal and the registrar and the voice chancellor, everybody was giving him a dirty stare and walking away. He said, first of all, this is so atrocious that Swami is accusing me of such a thing. And it's even more atrocious that these people are believing for me that, you know, I could have done such a thing. So then, you know, he goes back and he tells all his uh, family that this is what happened and everybody have a hearty laugh because they know that this is uh, a joke, you know, nice prank that has played. But then what happens is, no, he goes back and he sees that Swami is not looking at him. Swami is not talking to him. And it appears like Swami is dead
1: serious about what he has accused and him of. And Swami believes what he has accused him of. Right.
3: And he is like, Swami, this is unfair. I have not done anything like this. So one day when he is going back home, he sees that uh, a white Maruti drives in. And he looks there, it is Colonel Jogarau. And Colonel Jogarau comes up to him and he says, Yeah, yeah Indreshwar, you are here. Actually, I wanted to know, I heard that you also have a guest house. Mm-hmm. So, I was looking to accommodate a few guests, so I wanted to discuss about it.
1: Oh-ho, okay. The okay.
3: moment Colonel Jogarov said this, he realized that this is what Swami is hinting. So that day Colonel Jogarao was not present. He was not there. Oh. Okay. Okay. And it struck him that this is what Swami is hinting, and Swami apparently did not want any of those Samoko's guests to be accommodated in his house, and that was what Swami was indirectly hinting at to him, so that it will reach his family and they will react accordingly when this. You proposal, know, proposal comes, comes so immediately he realized and the first thing he knew was I am not supposed to be involved in this so he tells Jogarau that you know, the elders are inside, sir you can go and talk to them I have no say in these matters and when Colonel Jogarao goes and meets the family members they get the clue this is what Swami was hinting at and they very politely refuse and in all this Swami is not talking to Indreshwar typically the same situation which this was the very reason I was thinking of this incident because he has done nothing wrong he was apparently used for a plan which Swami had, and Swami is giving him the cold treatment. Okay, mm-hmm. And after two days, Swami walks up to him, and he like all red face and uh, tears in his eyes, and Swami looks at him and says, are you upset with Swami? <laughs> he said, no Swami, I thought you were upset with me. And uh, then Swami tells him, let's see, this is what I wanted, and that is why I used you. And then very sweetly Swami says, apna hai toh kuch bhi kar sakta hai na. He said, see, when you are mine, I can do anything with you. That is why I used you. I think this is the very, very same emotion with which Rama would have approached her that time. He said, because Mother, I take full ownership of you. I know that you are mine. You will never misunderstand me. I know that I can use you for the worst of my plans. You know, the whole world might look down upon you, but you will be ready to be party in my plan. And that is why I used you, because I own you. And that is the feeling with which you know, Rama would have approached Mother and told her that, you know, nothing to worry, absolutely you have been a perfect player in my whole plan.
1: How beautiful it is, you know, all of us feel that we depend on God. How wonderful it is to be a person on whom the Lord can depend on. And Mother Kaikeyi was one such blessed soul. And uh, as you narrated, her feeling is such that when Rama comes to her, she actually falls at his feet, begging pardon and saying that there is nothing wrong, I might be elder in age. But I'm much, much, much insignificant compared to you in magnanimity, in love, in dharma, in everything. You are the epitome of everything that is good. So there's nothing wrong, there's no sin that's going to accrue to you. If at all anything, the sin that I have committed can get washed off by me falling at your feet. At that time, Lord Rama echoes the same and sentiments that Swami so beautifully echoed to Indreshwar. He says, Mother, Please, please don't do this. It is your love for me. You know, Swami writes it clearly in the Ramkatha Savahini, where Rama confesses and says, you know, it is because of the sacrifice that you have done that I am able to, you know, fulfill my will. It is divine will. It is my will because I have taken birth for a purpose. The advent is with a reason. I have to fulfill that purpose. And if not for you, there is no way that I could have done this. And therefore, O Mother, you are in some ways singly responsible for the success of my mission. So therefore, please don't cry, please don't feel sad, don't feel bad, don't censure yourself, don't criticize yourself. If you do that, O Mother, my entire advent itself will become inauspicious. I will not be able to carry forward my mission because I will know that I have caused so much pain to you. So I am really grateful for what you have done. What you have done is nothing different from what I have willed. You know, Rama is giving a hint over there that nothing can ever happen without his will. And it is only his will that he has made Kaikei do what she has done. So therefore, please don't make this entire thing inauspicious by shedding tears. Give me wholehearted blessings. Give me wholehearted blessings to complete my mission and in the meanwhile, give complete support. You know, then Rama so beautifully put forth a pleading on behalf of his brother. He says, Mother, you know, I know Bharata would have spoken rash things with you. He would have spoken those rashly because of a double blow that took place, a double whammy, that is one he lost father and second is his love for me and he felt that he lost me. Now, Because of that, when a person is in great grief, he speaks things that are beyond his control, that he has no idea about. And that is why he spoke all that he has spoken. So please, Mother, forgive Bharata also and embrace him with your heart. You know, when he speaks in such a manner, Kaikeyi is feeling so light. She feels happy. She feels thrilled. She knows that she is redeemed and that her Rama still loves her. She still has a place in Rama's heart. And with that, a heavy burden lifts off Kaikeyi's heart. What is beautiful to note here is, Rama gives solace and lifts the burden of everyone, irrespective of their position, their status their in quotes goodness or in quotes badness it doesn't matter and that is why it is said that the Lord belongs to all it is not as if he belongs only to the saints and he abhors the sinners he loves all his love is for all and his name and his form always you know his love always brings calm peace and joy to everyone's heart irrespective of caste creed race gender anything his is all uncompassing love all uncompassing mercy
3: Going back to this chapter in Ramkata Raswani, another very, very significant uh, part which Swami describes is uh, a kind of a conference among all the mothers Mm. where we spoke about how Janaka has come there with his queen, Sunaina. And uh, she seeks the audience of the other queens, Mother Kaushalya, Sumitra and Kaikeyi. And uh, that is when they go and meet. I think one thing must be to kind of console them on their loss of their husband and also talk about... uh, you know, they also must be feeling a little odd to meet the mother of Sita because of what has happened.
1: You feel that, you know, the
3: right. daughter-in-law has come home and... Yeah, kind of, you know... You sent her away. Right, you have to go and break the eyes. So she sees the need for both. One is to go and uh, give condolence at the same time to say that, you know, I'm not unhappy with all of you for what has happened to my daughter because wife of Janaka would be no less than Janaka himself. That is exactly what is uh, portrayed in this chapter about what kind of a mother she is. The way she converses with Sita, we'll come to that later. But in this thing, you know, she is absolutely awed by what she sees among the three wives of Dashrata. Because when she goes and starts conversing with them, she sees that each one is actually praising the, the son of the other wife. You hmm. know, where Kaushalya speaks so high of Bharata. Kaikeyi starts speaking so high of Rama. And Sumitra speaks so high of the other Rama and
1: uh, Bharata. Bharata.
3: Both. And she says that, you know, this is so uncommon in the world today because each one is not extolling their own son. And uh, she says, you know, Kaushalya comes and tells Queen Sunana, she says that can you take this plea and ask Janaka to convince Rama that, you know, Bharata is in such a state that he is so devastated, I don't think he will be able to live if he is forced to go back to Ayodhya. So let King Janaka go and plead with Rama that let him send Lakshmana back, let Lakshmana come and take the reigns of the kingdom and let Bharata come and stay and serve him because Lakshmana has had the opportunity to serve him. And here is mother Kaushalya so worried about Bharata. You exactly. Know
1: the son of the lady who has apparently caused all this distress. And as you said, one of the reasons why Sunaina, Queen Sunaina, is lost in wonder is because of this amity between the queens. See, even before Rama actually makes this kind of revelation about Kaikeyi in this place, Both the others, queens, that is Sumitra and Kausalya have not misunderstood Kaikeyi. They have not treated her with scorn or contempt. In fact, as we saw, it was Kausalya who encourages Kaikeyi to join the retinue and says, Sister, you are welcome. Please come. I know that you have love for Rama and you are also missing him. You also come to see Rama. She never says that you are the wretched witch who sent him. You better stay back. You have no right to even think of him or see him or tell his name. These words never come to her. So, in that scenario when Rama tells these things, saying that his mission will never succeed if not for Kaikeyi, it only strengthens what their conviction is. You know, though it is not stated directly in the Ramkata Rasavahini, this much is obvious that everyone deep within, in their core, has the conviction that whatever happens is for the good. Now that is true surrender, what Swami says. And that is something that each one of us can inculcate in our lives. That irrespective of what happens, let us remember that this is how the Lord scripted the drama and therefore it is for our good. And therefore let us be joyous and peaceful every moment of our life because every moment of our life is being scripted by the Lord. And that is the feeling with which everybody there is living and that is why Queen Sunaina is wonderstruck. And uh, she as you said consoles the Queen saying that you know you don't have to feel sorry for Sita. You don't have to feel uh, bad for her. I am fine. I know what has happened is totally fine but in spite of that she's a mother after all and therefore she goes to see Sita and when she sees Sita Swami writes that she is just struck dumb in admiration and in awe she sees how Sita is living she is confused, she wonders whether this is my daughter Sita or is she Parvati, goddess Parvati who has set out to win the heart of Lord Shiva.
3: Right, you know, that is the story of Parvati being the Daughter of Himavan, who's supposed to be a very, very powerful king, but she gives up everything in pursuit of trying to win the hand of Lord Shiva. She becomes a sadhvi and that's what Queen Sunaina feels. That moment she sees Sita, she feels that, you know, is this really my daughter? Because is she that one who is scared and pampered and, you know, taken care of? But here,
1: so easily she is taken to this life sacrifice. That's exactly what Parvati does. She gives up everything just for the sake of Shiva. And now Sunaina is seeing that her own daughter has given up everything, just for the sake of Rama. And therefore, you know, she goes to Sita and she says, you may be my daughter, but you know, just like, you know, the Ganga flows between two banks, you are that crystal clear redeeming stream that flows between two families, two kingdoms, that is Ayodhya and Mithila. You are the one that is bridging the two. And you are cleansing both. I mean, you know, she says that the what you have done is worship worthy and therefore just as the Ganga is worshipped at Haridwar, at Prayag and at the point where Ganga meets the ocean, you too will be worshipped like that. And you know, just as she's pouring out all her love and adoration and awe to her daughter Sita, Sita immediately shows why she is worthy of all that. Because the only statement she tells her mother is, Mother, why are you making all these comparisons? There is no time for all this. I have to go. I have to see how my Lord is. You know, even at such moment, Sita has no time to think of herself. Her thoughts are only about Rama. So she is saying that, Mother, you know, stop all this because let me go and serve my Lord. And Swami writes, you know, a master script writer, he writes as Sita walks away, Sunaina stands with glossy eyes and she is lost even though Sita has moved beyond the horizon she is just stuck like a statue there the mental image of Sita is still there till a maid comes to her and says oh queen it's time to go back, Sita is no longer seen and that is what breaks her out of her reverie and she walks with the attendant, so that's how Swami writes about this beautiful aspect and it really thrills you know to know that everyone whatever be their profession, whatever be their stature, whatever be their age Everyone has this single pointed focus on Rama. Again, that is something that all of us should emulate. Whatever be our position in the organization, whatever be our status, whatever be our age in the family, anywhere, whatever it be, we should all be bound by that common love for Swami. We should all focus on Swami and Swami alone.
3: It's a very beautiful thing. Here is a mother who has given her daughter in marriage to a family. And what does a mother... In such a situation, you know, wish for the child whom she's given in marriage, you know, comfortable life and a life where she's taken care of. But there is one Paddyam which Swami says, of course, I'm not going to venture into trying to quote that. But mm-hmm. Swami says this entire world is actually held aloft in prosperity because of the forbearance of a woman. You know, the, the forbearance of, that women have, that is what is actually sustaining this entire earth. You know, that is the importance which Swami gives to the appearance of a woman. And here is Queen Sunaina who is saying that, you know, my daughter has got that. That is the greatest wealth which a mother can wish for her daughter and my daughter has that and she is adoring it. You know, what a difference it is. You know, modern day women, I'm not not to comment on it, but But that is a feeling which we have, you know, go get your life, don't become a punching bag, you know, you have to assert yourself, you have to tell what you want and you have to make sure that you get what you want in your, in a new home you go to. These are the kind of advices nowadays we see a mother who is giving to a daughter, but here is a mother in a queen sunaina who is able to acknowledge that this is the greatest wealth my daughter can have and she's got that, she's got that forbearance. She's got that nature of sacrifice. That's why she's saying that you're appearing to me like Mother Parvati and she says you're like Ganga. In fact, very beautifully Swami adds a little bit of detail when she says that you're like Ganga, Mother Sita turns towards Ganges, which is of course, you know, very nearby. It's flowing, you know, one of the tributaries. She turns that that side and bows and says, what are you doing comparing me with, you know, the holy Ganga (laughs) kind of, you know, taking uh, forgiveness for making this comparison But, you know, that is the true quality of the mother also, because a mother who has recognized that this is the most important quality which my daughter should have, and she has got it, and she's feeling happy for that.
1: Yeah, as we said, all this happens on the fourth day. On the fourth day, as this is happening on the other side, that is when Rama has summoned sage Vashishta and Bharata, and he tells them that it is time to return to Ayodhya. And as this is said, you know, Bharata's heart starts sinking. Because as we heard in that battle versus Prema and Dharma, Bharata has agreed to actually go back and take over the reigns of Ayodhya and rule Ayodhya because that is what will make Rama happy. But he doesn't want this thing to end. He doesn't want this to end and very intelligently he says, Oh Rama, this is such a beautiful place. I have not seen this place. I want to visit the bathing guards. I want to visit all the holy places here. I want to see the animals in the wild, in their nature, in their natural habitat. I want to see all these, so can I do so? And uh, Rama agrees, he knows. Bharata also knows that if he tells Rama, you know, let me serve you for two more days, Rama will say, there is no need, you go. Bharata actually doesn't have a desire to see wildlife and (laughs) take bath in the rivers over there. His interest is to be with Rama as long as possible. But in order to do that, if it means that he has to say that I want to see this, it's fine. You know, this would happen even in Canal or even in Delhi, for example, when we had gone there, Swami, we want to see Kutub Minar, we want to, it's not that you want to see some place over there, it's just that under the pretext of that, can we stay a little longer, Swami, can we enjoy this proximity that we are enjoying with you for a little longer? So, it is not surprising that Bharata used the same tactics and he says, oh Rama, please let me look around and Rama says yeah definitely take a day or two and have a look around and Bharata is happy that he has been able to extend his stay for a further day or two and uh, what happens after those two days is again a very uh, moving episode possibly we will come to that after this little break
2: न चिल्लाए राम नाम pina लेकिन तो ये तब पाए जब तो के से शरणम सब चिल्लाए राम नाम ते हो बिना किनाद लेकिन दो इमन चैन्द अब पाए जब तुर ड़के पाणि से काई श्री राम शरणम ममा श्री राम शरणम ममा I
3: Welcome back, dear listeners. We are in that point where eventually Bharata has to face that decision which Rama is going to make now. And it's interesting, you know, the many, many options which Bharata places in front of Rama. And as you said, one of the things which he says is, let me stay for two more days and, you know, look around. It's almost like postponing the decision. But, you know, the many arguments which Bharata places in front of Rama, he says that you go back and rule. I will take the one verse for 13 years. That's one thing which he says. The other thing is, he says that you know, Lakshmana has served you. Let Lakshmana and Shatrugna go back, and I will serve you in the place of Lakshmana. The other option is you and Sita go back. We three brothers will serve the, do the thing. exile thing, or we'll all go back. You know, you rule, and I think that's what Kaikeyi says that you know, we you come back. a complete back and, reset, right? <laughs> you know, what has happened has happened. Let's go back, and you know, Mother Kaikeyi is taking back her two bones, and uh, we all can go back as if nothing has happened. But for everything, Rama has a in argument he says that no this is not how it should be the father's word has to be kept and i think in a sense where dashrata is passing on has actually helped rama to stick on to this resolve he says because we have given the word to the
1: father and it is our duty yours and mine to stick to it this is where i feel you know rama differs from any one of us because if i put myself in rama's place and uh, if everyone saying that okay, let's all forget, let's do a complete reset. All of us want it was a mistake, and yeah, all's well that ends well. I think I would have returned back, you know. <laughs> but that is the difference, you know, because uh, there is a difference between a a normal person and a person who is aware of divine destiny. You see, if uh, we might hear in Swami's discourses that the ultimate goal in life is only finding Lord within, all other things don't matter don't chase money, don't chase relationships, don't chase a career, don't chase power, don't chase any of that because none of that matter. So we wholeheartedly agree. But by the side if we feel that, you know what, actually I am not chasing money but money is coming. So why not take it? It's cool. That's what we feel. I am not chasing a relationship but it's just coming by. So why not accept it? Fine. Swami, do you have any problem if I take? Swami says, no, I have no problem. Don't chase it. Nah, but it's just coming. Yeah, take it. But that happens because you know, we are not 100% 100% time completely aware of our divine destiny and therefore we feel it's fine to indulge in distractions because they are not distractions, they are just coming our way, I am not pursuing it. It is only a person possibly like the Buddha or, I mean uh, Buddha comes as an example, there are many others, Ram Krishna Paramahamsa. When you are aware of your divine destiny, you are not ready to change anything, you are not ready to compromise To the extent that to what we consider as a normal human being, you appear to be very rigid. And Rama definitely appears to be very rigid. And we shall see that it's not only now. Throughout also he will appear to be like that. And that is only because we are not at a level at which we can judge Rama. We are at a level much much lower and therefore we think like that. Now at this point, definitely it feels like, array. everyone is happy. Everyone has repented. All are fine. It's okay. And nobody is going to speak. I mean, Let's face it, if Rama had gone back and ruled Ayodhya, of course we would have lost the beautiful Ramayana, but even this much story, I don't think anybody would have found fault with Rama. That's fine, yeah. For everyone's good. But that is what differentiates I feel, the a divinely directed person or divinity from any one of us humans and therefore there is no way that Rama would have changed his stance and Bharata has to return. But at the same time, it's not as if Rama is rigid that he doesn't understand what is going on within, you know, he still feels in a spontaneous gesture, possibly, I don't know, because the reasons are not elaborated in any of the Ramayanas, including the Ramkatha Rasavahini, but Swami definitely write that spontaneously, Rama just calls out to Bharata and offers his sandals to him. The way it is spontaneous, it just feels that Rama knows he has trudged the entire distance barefoot. So he knows what it means to walk. Bharata has also trudged the entire distance barefoot because he wants to undergo what Rama went through. But now Rama can't bear the thought of Bharata getting hurt. So, while he is sending him back, he is ensuring that he has everything comfortable. So, as a spontaneous gesture, Rama offers his sandals to Bharata.
3: Right. The many versions of this, of course, I think Swami only puts it this way, that Rama himself offers his sandals. And uh, Swami doesn't say that it is given to be worshipped. Exactly. Because I think in that very narrative, Swami says that Lord Rama is completely surprised and very pleased with the adoration which Bharata shows because the moment the sandals are given to him, Bharata does not wear it. He takes it and puts it on his head and he says, Lord, you know, this will definitely be a solace for me and uh, he says, I will go and place this on the throne and I will rule Ayodhya only as your representative. That's how I'm going to rule Ayodhya. As a trustee. Mm. Right. And uh, I think in another version of Ramayana, I think this was even mentioned, in, version in, in, and right, the, uh, in Valmiki. Vali. It was even mentioned in front of Swami during that Ramayana Saptah, because uh, this point is raised that you know it is believed that Rama came walking barefoot. So where did the sandals come from? Hmm. Apparently, it is believed that in those days, when the king goes on, you know, for a war or he's away from the country for a long time. There are some uh, royal insignia insignia which is believed to be as representative of the king, you know, where they keep the staff and when you still have to convene a gathering in the court where, you know,
1: the throne is adorned by this insignia and it is believed like the king is still presiding over it. In fact, during our convocation, the mace and the spear that is brought and placed, it is exactly to represent that. That is why even to this day, though Swami is physically not present, his arrival is marked by this royal insignia.
3: Right. So, according to that, when uh, the citizens of Ayodhya and Bharata and all of them proceed towards the forest, it is believed that Vasishtha knows that there is going to be a situation like this. As we said, you know, all through, Vasishtha would have been the only person who knew that they have to return empty-handed. So he knew that this was a situation which is going to come. So he brings along the Paduka, which is believed to be an insignia of the emperor of Ayodhya, and it seems that it is this. Paduka which Rama is made to wear and is given to Bharata to go back and to be installed on the throne and to be worshipped.
1: I remember the senior devotee T.G. Krishnamurthy sir, he was saying of an episode when he had an opportunity to press Swami's feet, he brought out this episode from Ramayana which I shall reveal later when the time comes. But he said, Swami, this is how it happened, they say, but you are saying some other version. So he says, Swami looked at him and said, what does that person know? I am telling you this is what happened. You know. So, yeah, that's an autobiographical account. It has always been said that the Tulsi Ramayana is the way a devotee looks at the Lord and Swami's Ramayana is the way the Lord looks at the Lord. So, while both perspectives, you know, an episode happens and each one interprets in the own way. So, while uh, the Tulsi Ramayana and Valmiki Ramayana states the version that you just now stated about this insignia being brought and being offered, because that is written with a devotee's perspective. What a devotee will write is what he wishes to offer to the Lord. But as Swami writes, it is always, you know, Swami always thinks of the devotees. I remember, you know, when you show photographs to devotees, you know, I had many opportunities to show Swami's photographs to devotees and a few opportunities to show photographs to Swami. I am just saying the difference, you know. When you show devotees, you show them this is a crowd, this is a pan shot, this is how Kulvanthal looks, they are not interested, how was Swami, was he smiling, how was it and his close-up, his abayasa, that is what the devotees wish to see. And you know Prem, when I used to show Swami the photographs on those few occasions, when I show him his photographs, he says, what is this, you are showing only me, show me something else. I mean for Swami, it was as if what's great in showing my face to me. He would be interested in seeing how the hall is decorated, how the devotees are, how they are being fed, how they are sitting, you know, how the Nara and Seva is going on, everything concerned to the devotee. So it is so beautiful to see that the devotee is always thinking of the Lord and therefore the Tulsi Ramayana version has this and the Lord is always thinking of the devotee and therefore here in Swami's version it is, Rama gives to Bharata. So beautiful it is. So. Now, instead of getting into the debate as to what is the thing that actually happened, I feel we should appreciate the beauty in both the episodes and take the lessons and insights from them.
3: Very true. And even as you're saying that, you know, uh, Rama spontaneously took his slippers and gave it to him, reminded of one thing which one of our lecturers once shared with me. Apparently, Swami was driving towards Uti Okote Canal and Swami was traveling with the Vice-Chancellor of the University. I think it must be Professor Sampat or Professor Saraf, one of these two, mm-hmm. who were traveling with Swami and uh, Brother Radhakrishna who was serving Swami then was driving the car and this Vice-Chancellor was sitting next to him and Swami was sitting in the back seat and they were driving towards this particular destination. And it looked like Swami was silent for a while. Swami was eyes were closed and he was uh, relaxing. Very, very softly, this Vice-Chancellor asked the boy who was driving the car, how many more miles to go and how long will we take to reach there? And very softly he asked him. The moment uh, the, this elder asked this, Swami, you know, very loudly told the boy, "Hey, Radha Krishna, stop the car. Vice Chancellor wants to ease himself." Huh? <laughs> okay, because Swami knew that this is why this person was asking. So immediately the car was stopped, and uh, you know, this Vice Chancellor opened the door and went out. And even as he was taking a few steps to go behind a bush or something, you know, Swami called out to him, and this person turned back and he thought, "What happened?" So when he came up to Swami. You know, Swami bent down and picked up his sandals and gave it to him. Swami was holding his sandals. Swami said, there'll be stones and, Hmm. and there'll be stones and thorns there. Wear this and go. And immediately, you know, this, you can imagine this devotee just broke down. Literally, when Swami writes there that Rama removed his sandals and gave it to Bharata, definitely it was not meant to be with the idea that it'll be worshipped. He would have definitely thought that, you know, this man fellow, he'll be thinking of me and going all the way back to Ayodhya. He will not even bother about, you know, his own welfare. Let him at least take this and let him wear this and go. And, you know, that is definitely would have been the emotion with which Ramavada comes. In it Divine us.
1: Romance, the Lord never learns, the devotee never learns. The Lord never learns that though he might be offering it for the devotee to use, the devotee is going to go and worship it. You know, how many times when Swami used to give safari piece he gives 500 rupees or something and says go get stitched we go get stitched but that 500 rupees we treasure and keep and say this is Swami's gift So,
3: (coughs) one more thing I remember is I think one of the devotees who had spent some particular amount of money for the Dashara celebrations, Swami was very insistent that he should take the money and he said no Swami, I mean all the money I have is what you have given it to me, why are you giving me separately for the expenses incurred Uh so Swami said no, no you have to take so apparently, first time Swami gave him money in cash, he took the money and went and deposited it in the trust. So Swami came to know, came to know in quotes from the authorities that this person has come and deposited the money. So Swami again called him inside the interview room and told that no, no, you have to take it, you have spent, you have to take it. So Swami tore a cheque and gave it to him. Swami signed a cheque and gave it to him. And that devotee would, 30-40 years later, you know, would share with us. He said that check is safe with me. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, what did did Swami expect that the devotee will do with that check?
1: Yes, so the Lord never learns. He continues to give. The devotee never learns. He continues to cherish. But that is what makes the story of the Lord and the devotee so beautiful. Dear listeners, we hope that you have enjoyed the Ramkathara Savahini. We will continue next week from Bharata's journey back towards Ayodhya. We offer this entire segment with all gratitude at the lotus feet of our beloved Swami who is always present by our side within us, listening to us and inspiring us to speak whatever we speak. Our gratitude also to Lord Hanuman for being ever present whenever and wherever the Ramkatha is sung. We now conclude with this little song.
2: so
0: You just heard an episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on Ramakatara Savahini, a book written by Swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 7th May 2015. Dear listener, we hope you liked this program. As always, you can send us your feedback to listener at radiosci.org. You could also WhatsApp us your feedback to this number, nine three nine three two five eight two five eight. 258 Thank you and Sairam.